You know, I realize that not everyone in the room reorients their life around the start of school, but as we've already stated a couple of times today, tomorrow's a big day, at least in our area, our county, because school does start back. And so for many of the families in the room, you, you're going to try to get the kids to bed a little bit earlier tonight to try to get them up a little bit earlier tomorrow. And you've got to go back into the routine maybe of making school lunches and getting the backpacks packed up. And it starts with homework and juggling school schedules and bus routes and after school programs and all the different things that that includes. And I realize not everybody in the room is like that. You, you may not have kids. You may not be married. You may be a student yourself, but your school doesn't start for a few more days or a few more weeks. And so we realize that that doesn't affect everyone. Some of us, we're dreading the start of school because maybe it just means that your morning commute is going to be terrible for the next few days because all the school School families will get back on the roads and they're trying to remember how long it takes them to get to school. And so that's going to impact your work commute. And so we know that not everybody reorients their entire world around that. But tomorrow's a big day. And so, you know, every time I get to a new school year, I tend to kind of remember what it was like starting a school year when I was a kid. I loved the start of school. Now, that's not because I was some kind of dork and I was this incredible student because that wasn't necessarily the case. But man, I just loved, there was something about the newness of a school year that for me signaled kind of newness in life. It doesn't matter how terrible or how great the last school year was. It doesn't matter if I had the greatest summer ever or if my summer was just okay. The start of a new school year meant that I got a brand new blank notebook or two, three ring binder, new paper that was just crisp. I mean, all the edges were squared off. Nothing had been crumpled in my book bag yet. I made a commitment that I'm going to do all of my homework this year. You know, how long that commitment lasted is not important, but I made that commitment the night before the first day of school. I got a new haircut. That's why I got a haircut this week. It's the start of school. I just can't get out of that routine. Sometimes I got new school shoes. I might have got a new book bag. I might have not got a new outfit or something that my mom felt like I needed for the school year. I mean, it was an exciting time for me because there was something about doing something New. And so I always loved kind of going back to the start of school. It just allowed me to feel like I was rebooting. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't really feel that reboot as much in January because, you know, you're going back really to the same group of people and a lot of times the same classes and the same teachers. As an adult, sometimes we use that new year, the the Christmas break into January to kind of refocus and think about the newness of things in our lives. But a lot of times when we kind of get to this stage, you know, we're about halfway through the year and it's a good time for us to take stock, take inventory of where we're at in our lives. So even if you don't have kids starting school tomorrow, maybe you're not starting anything new, you're going back to, the, to, the, to work tomorrow at the same place you left work on Friday and you just, you know, it's nothing new, it's nothing exciting. It's a great opportunity for us today to kind of think about new things, new beginnings, You know, whether you've experienced it recently or not, think about when you got maybe a new home. Not necessarily brand new, but maybe new to you. Think about when you got a new car. Again, not brand new, but maybe new to you. It didn't say zero, zero, zero on the odometer there to show you how many miles it had on it. It had a lot more zeros behind a few numbers, but you got that new car. You know, the new car smell that you had was a little different than other people got a new car smell. It still kind of smelled like Taco Bell that the previous owner had used they're in the car on their morning commute, but maybe it was something new. You started a new job at some point. 
Maybe you remember starting at a new college or a new school. Maybe you changed a major and it changed some of the classes that you were taking. Maybe you started a new project. There was something that you were doing, a new passion, a new hobby. And so there's something exciting about newness. And so today, as we kind of in the context of the start of school, I thought it would be great for us just to look at a story in Scripture that I believe give us some basic principles when we're in new beginnings. And so again, whether you've gotten a new beginning recently or maybe something's right, right out in front of you that may be something new or you just kind of need to reboot the year. It started in January, but you need a fresh start. Today, right here at the beginning of August, let's just say, hey, we're going to take the last few months of the year and we're going to live it out as if it's the full year. And we're going to keep our commitments and we're going to do something new. So today, if you got a Bible and you want to follow along, turn with me to the book of Joshua. Joshua is in the Old Testament. It's just a few books in, and it really is the story of the handoff of leadership uh, of the children of Israel. And I've used that phrase a couple of times in the last few weeks. I actually scared some people a few weeks ago. We talked about the handoff in leadership, and I preached on that for, for like 30 minutes. And at the end of service, I had three people say, okay, I was convinced halfway through this message you were handing off the campus and leaving and not the case at all. So if I use the phrase handoff, I'm just talking about this scriptural story. But for us, when we look at the story of Joshua, we do see a series of new beginnings. We see some things that Joshua is experiencing that even though we take it in the full context of the story of the children of Israel, there's something new happening here. And so if you've got a Bible, flip with me to Joshua chapter 1 right there at the very beginning. Most of these scriptures will be up on the screen. We're having a little technical difficulty today, so Daryl's actually moved down to the front row, and he's running it. So the screen's a little compressed, but hopefully you'll be able to follow along. Beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Does that seem a little harsh to anybody else? No, just the two guys that laughed over here. That's pretty harsh to me. When I read Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, and the beginning of verse 2, God here is speaking to Joshua, and he's saying, listen, Moses is dead. Get up. Now, here's the first thing that I think we need to know about new beginnings. God believes in new beginnings. God believes in it. It's important for us to know that because if you and I kind of get into this thing where we think we're the only ones trying to restart things, and God blesses new beginnings. God has a plan that includes new beginnings. And we read that here in this place in Scripture. Now, God does not really believe in a lot of small talk. And here's what I mean by that. If you look at Genesis you see that it was dark and God said, let there be light, right? There's no small talk there. It's just like, here's the situation. I'm going to fix it. In Genesis chapter 6, before God tells Noah to build an ark, God says this beginning in verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Like this is just direct God. This is God saying, listen, We've got to have a new beginning. We've got to start over in the story of mankind because mankind has kind of taken itself down a, a path that it doesn't need to continue on. So we need to start new. And so he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to make an end to all flesh. I'm going to start over with you and your family. And so God doesn't believe in a lot of small talk. But what we see here in Joshua 1 is that God follows that same pattern. And he says, hey, Moses, my servant, is dead so get up. He is saying to Joshua, even as insensitive as it seems, because Moses was Joshua's mentor. We read in this that he was, he was Moses' assistant, but he was his mentor. When Moses would go and hear from God and then bring that message to the people, Joshua would be standing outside of the tent while Moses was meeting with God. 
When Moses would go and hear from God and then deliver that, Joshua was standing right beside him. Joshua was one of the spies that went into the land and came back and delivered the news to Moses and to the people about what they were going to encounter when they got to this promised land. And so we see that this is something that Joshua's probably upset about. He's probably kind of feeling the grieving process and the loss that's taken place. But God believes in new beginnings so much that God wanted Joshua to know that he could not linger in the events that were connected to the past. So even as insensitive as it may sound when we're reading it, he just says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, get up. He wanted him to know that there was something out in front of him that required him not to think about what was behind him. And so when I read that, I just thought often you and I are so caught up in what has happened and what is happening that we don't even consider what could happen next. I don't know if you're like me, but I tend to gravitate towards the next. I tend to gravitate towards the future. But a lot of times when I'm really stressed, a lot of times when I'm really bogged down, when there's a lot of things going on, or maybe I just walked through a really emotional season or something bad happened to me, even some good things potentially, I tend to just live in what happened. I tend to just hold on to what was happening back there. And I can't get past it. Or maybe I'm stressed in the moment and there's something going on and I can't get past that. And I can't even see kind of the light at the end of the tunnel in that metaphor. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking, how do I get out? Sometimes if we're not careful, we miss what could happen next because we're so focused on what just happened or what is happening. So as God is calling Joshua, this is the first place that God is saying to Joshua, you're the new leader. Like, Moses is dead. Somebody's got to step up and lead here. And I want you to know that I'm, I'm kind of tapping you on the shoulder. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, and get up. Now, therefore, arise, get up. No matter how dark your present circumstances are, no matter how bad it seems back there, listen to this in Psalm 30, verse 5. It says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. We've heard this, many of us, we know this. It's often given to people that are in grieving situations or bad situations. But what I want you to know is that there is a cycle to God's created order. And we know this. It's not just the story of Genesis 1 where he created the day and he created the night. What he did was he ensured that you would never stay in darkness. He ensured that even if you're like maybe some of our kids, including my own, that the nighttime sometimes is the scary time because it's dark and you tend to hear a lot of the noises and you tend to worry about what's happening and you tend to get scared. Here's what we know. It may seem to take forever, but morning's coming. You ever been up before the sun comes up? Some of you are like, what? what? I just, when I wake up, the sun's always up. I didn't know. I mean, it's 1030 in the morning. It's just up when I get up, right? But if you've ever kind of stayed up all night or you've gotten up very early, that point where the sky is completely black and then you start to see just the glimmer, just the glimpses in the horizon of a different color, you see a little bit of a, of a lighter shade of darkness and then you see kind of a, an orange hue or yellow or something and you start to see that the sun is rising. You can know that the day is coming. And that's what this writer here in Psalms is saying. It's saying, listen, weeping may last during the night. I'm about to kick that over. Weeping may last in the night, but know this, that joy is coming with the morning. I watched this in my own family. Many of you may know, but in 2011, my mom passed away from a battle with cancer. And man, it was sad. I miss my mom. I cried. 
man, I, I was upset. Everything reminded me of her. Everything reminded me of a story of something we had done together. Not too long after her passing, we celebrated uh, Mother's Day. And not too long after that, we, we celebrated in our immediate family the birth of our daughter. And so my mom wasn't there for that. Man, everything, even those joyous situations, were filled with sadness. My dad, who had been married to my mom for three and a half decades, and it was his partner in crime, and man, they were close, they were tight, they did everything together, they were a great pair, a great team. I would spend hours on the phone with him almost every single night as he would talk about her, as he would talk about the situation, as he would talk about her sickness. He would cry on the phone with me just so he had somebody to talk to. He would go and he'd walk around the mall just so he wasn't by himself. He tells the story of walking into his empty house and just screaming, not because he was upset, just because he needed noise to fill the silence of his house. I remember that season, months and months and months of him doing that, people inviting him over to dinner so he wouldn't have to eat by himself. I mean, I remember walking that journey with him and also walking that personally between Corey and I and our kids. I mean, I remember that season. And then something happened. He told me about this lady that he had met. I was like, awesome. That's great. There's a lot of great ladies out there. He's like, I think I'm going to meet her for coffee. Do you think that would be okay? I was like, absolutely. And coffee turned into conversation. And conversation turned into dinner. And dinner turned into dates. And dates turned into a relationship. And about a year and a half ago, they got married. And at that wedding... I was able to stand in front of both of them and administer communion. And we took the elements of communion. We took the bread and we took the juice. And I said something along these lines. I went back and read my notes this week in preparation for today. I said something like this. None of us would have ever dreamed that we would be here. None of us would have ever envisioned or even planned or wanted to necessarily be here. But through the events of our lives, we're here in this moment, and we're going to take these elements. They're not just bread and juice. They are the elements that remind us of the death of Jesus Christ. We're going to take those with people that have experienced human death in a very real way, and we're going to commit life and newness in your marriage. God believes in new beginnings. I can't tell you all of the theology of everything and why it happens and how it happens and what happens and... I mean, I've said it to Shelly, who is my dad's wife. Man, I love her. She loves my kids. I gave her a Mother's Day card this year. She's not my mom, but she's a grandmother to my kids. She's my friend. She's an incredible lady. She's my dad's wife. I don't understand how all these things work together, but you know what I do believe? That God believes in new beginnings. Their marriage, their relationship is shaped by the past, but it was created for their future. God believes in new beginnings. And here's what I would ask all of us in this room today. What would it take for you to take your eyes off that little rearview mirror looking back and focus your attention on this incredibly big windshield in front of you and all that God has right out in your future? Because God believes in new beginnings. Let's continue reading in verse 2. 
of Joshua chapter 1. So he said, Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river the Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. The second thing that I believe about new beginnings is that God is certain about the uncertainty in front of you. God is certain about the uncertainty in front of you. And when you look out that big windshield in front of you and you take your eyes off the little rearview mirror to look out this big window, you go, wow, I'm a little scared. I've got a lot of doubt. I'm a little uncertain. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I'm not sure what the future really includes. Here's what I know. We don't know about tomorrow. I tend to make fun of meteorologists, and I apologize if you work for the Weather Channel or some local news weather, or maybe you are the weatherman, but this will probably be your last Sunday. I tend to make fun of meteorologists because I'm convinced they're just guessing. Like, I'm convinced most of the machines in front of them aren't actually plugged in. Like, when they're standing there and they're pointing and they're telling, hey, it's going to be a high of 78, like, I think they're just guessing. I think they go, well, it was 78 today. That seems kind of a good guess for tomorrow because we're in the same month. Like, most of the time when they tell me, hey, and, and, you know, those that have kids going to school, you know, they're like, hey, you know, it's going to snow tomorrow. And the kids wake up at, you know, when you wake them up for school and they're like, did it snow? We're like, no, it's, it's 80 and sunny right now. And so, you know, get your clothes on. We're going to school. And then you've got to deal with that disappointment. I want to call the weatherman that morning and be like, hey, I'm going to put my son on the phone and just you tell him how you missed it. Right. And you just want to hand him the phone because they don't even know what tomorrow looks like. They've got all this technology. They've got all this stuff. I think they're just calling one another. I think all the news station weathermen are calling one another going, let's kind of be in sync on this. We're all saying between 75 and 80 tomorrow, partly cloudy. Okay, that's great. Let's do that. Because I I don't think they know any more about tomorrow than you and I do. They're trying to read patterns and read trends and read all these different things. And sometimes they're close and sometimes they're not. Because they don't know any more about tomorrow than you and I do. Because you and I are viewing tomorrow through the only scope that we have. It's the scope of time. Tomorrow is an entirely new day, right? I mean, that's not groundbreaking, earth-shattering knowledge to you. Tomorrow's a new day. It's not today, and it's not yesterday. And so we are limited in our ability to look at tomorrow, except to look at it through the scope and the lens of Time, But I want to read another scripture to you out of 2 Peter chapter 3, and then I want us to talk about it for a moment. This is what it says, talking about how God views time. It says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, the passage in 2 Peter is really talking about kind of the coming of the Lord and the things that are to come in the story of humanity and God. And so don't get bogged down. Just understand that the writer here wants us to know that the way we view time and the way God views time is different. He's talking here about the judgment of God and how God seems to be slow in his anger. He seems to be slow in his judgment And it talks about his patience really kind of coming along so that more and more people could receive Jesus Christ. But what he wants us to know is that God counts time differently than you and I count time. So when you are looking at tomorrow as this as yet unexperienced new day that's not today, God is viewing it in the scope of all of eternity. 
It's just a part of the process. It's a part of the story. It's not necessarily something that he doesn't know yet. I ran across this as I was studying. This is from Kenneth Gangle. This is a commentary out of 2 Peter, which is talking about this passage that we just read. This is what he said. People see time against time, but God sees time against eternity. In fact, time only seems long because of man's finite perspective. My son Tucker, when we go on trips, he is the world's worst at are we there yet? We left our house to go to Louisville, Kentucky for vacation a few uh, weeks ago. We were literally still in Canton. And Tucker said, are we there yet? We had been in the car about 10 minutes. I had told them it would take about six hours. And yet Tucker was like, are we there yet? I was like, no, no, no. There's like a bunch more of these 10-minute segments because his perspective is completely skewed. My understanding of time and his understanding of time are different. We told him three or four days ago that we were going to school for the first time on Monday. Every day when he wakes up, he says, is it school day yet? Now, he's been through kindergarten. He's a fairly bright kid. He knows his days of the week and how they stack on one another. But his understanding of time is limited. And so he's not really sure how long he slept. Did I sleep through the three days till school starts and I woke up and it's school day, right? Because his understanding of time is limited. When God views your tomorrow, he views it differently than you view tomorrow. God is certain. We believe, and this may be a huge theological jump for you. I believe, I won't, <laughs> I won't indict anybody else in the room. I believe that God has some attributes. And one of those attributes is that he is all-knowing. I believe God can choose not to know certain things, but I believe that God can and does know all things. I believe that's one of the attributes of the nature of God. And so because of that, he knows about your tomorrow while you're still in today. That shouldn't be something you get hung up on or get scared about. That should be something that provides comfort for you to know that God No. So what what do you need to trust God with about your tomorrow? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Is it anxiety? Is it uncertainty? Is it direction? Is it purpose? What do you need to trust God about with your tomorrow? Let's continue reading in verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand, that you may have good success wherever you go. Skip ahead to verse 9. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The third thing that I believe about new beginnings is that you are aren't alone. You aren't alone in new beginnings. I remember what it was like to be the new kid on the first day of school. My family moved a good bit when I was growing up, so obviously I was the new kid in kindergarten, but so were all the other kindergartners. But then we moved after kindergarten, so I walked into first grade as the new kid. A few years later, we moved, and I walked into fifth grade as the new kid. A few years later, we walked into eighth grade, and I was the new kid we had moved. And a few years later, I walked into twelfth grade. My senior year moved into a brand new school. I went from this little school I say little, but it was like seven, eight hundred students. And I walked into a school here in the greater Atlanta area over in Gwinnett County, and there were 2,300 students. 
And so I had walked from out of a school where like everybody spoke English, everybody kind of looked like me. It was kind of a rural school right outside of Chattanooga. And I walked into a school that had 46 flags in the lobby of all the, the languages that were represented in that high school. I know what it's like to be the new kid. I know what it's like to walk into the class and not know who you want to sit by for the rest of the year. And so you just kind of guess, right? I know what it's like to walk into the lunchroom and not really have anybody to sit with. I don't tell you this so you feel bad for me. Well, kind of I do. But I don't really tell you this so you feel bad for me. I'm telling you this because I know what it's like to feel alone. And you probably do too. And sometimes when we think about new beginnings, We think about them in the context of being alone, taking that step by ourselves, walking into a new day, walking out into the future, looking out through the windshield, believing that God's got a plan for us. He's certain about it, but man, we don't have anybody walking into tomorrow with us. I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's like to be lonely. And sometimes that's the scariest thing about new beginnings. But what God said to Joshua is he says, listen, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then he says to him what you and I need to be reminded of. He said, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Even if you feel alone, even if you're not sure what it's going to be like, don't be afraid because you aren't alone. I'm walking with you into the uncertainty of tomorrow. Later when we see that Joshua's actually leading the people into the promised land, he says to the people, when the ark of God passes in front of you, get in behind it because God's going to lead us there since you've never been this way before. God is certain about the uncertainty that's in front of you and God is going with you into every new beginning that you have in your life. And so I encourage you, don't feel alone. Anywhere that the enemy would try to make you feel like you're alone, anywhere the enemy would try to say, hey, don't take this stand, don't make this decision, don't chart out this new course, don't try to take that risk, you're going to be by yourself, it's going to feel lonely, know that God is walking with you. And here's the question I would ask related to this, how different would, your, would you live your life if you knew that God was with you everywhere you went? How different would you live your life if everywhere you went you knew that God was with you? How would that change the way that you live? Let's look at this last passage. We're going to jump ahead a little bit to Joshua chapter 2 and read verse 1, and then we'll jump to chapter 6 quickly. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 says this, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly as spies, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. Skip to chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. It says this, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. I've said this every time I've ever read that verse. God said he had given it to them before they ever had it. That's important for us to remember. Let's skip to verse 20 of chapter 6. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him, and they captured the city. And here's the fourth thing about new beginnings. Tomorrow's victories don't exist today. Tomorrow's victories don't exist today. One of the most famous passages in all of Scripture is when the apostle Peter, the disciple that was following Jesus, he gets out of the boat and he walks on water when Jesus shows up one night while they're in a boat. He says, hey, if that's you, Lord, call me to come out. And Jesus says, come on out. 
And Peter walks on the water, and then he falls, and then Jesus kind of gives him a hand, and he gets back up, and he walks back to the boat with Jesus. You know what he had to do to be able to walk on the water? He had to get out of the boat, right? He had to take a risk. He had to climb over the edge of the boat to go and put his feet on the top of water. You ever tried that? Do it by yourself. Be alone in that moment. Because if you try that by, with a bunch of people standing there, they're going to laugh at you. He had to get out of the boat and step on the water. He had to take a risk. When I teach my kids how to swim, I have to get them comfortable with the idea that there will come a moment when I take my hands off. When I taught them how to ride a bike, I almost had to sneak my hand away from the back of their seat because they weren't comfortable riding on their own. The things that you've learned, the things that you've been taught, someone trains you on a new job, but there comes a moment when you've got to do that task by yourself. They're not checking as you total the numbers. They're not proofreading before you send the email. They're not in the room when you set it up for the meeting. There comes a moment when you have to do the task yourself. And here's what we know. When I take my hands off and my kids swim, and they realize that I'm not holding on any longer, what do they do? Usually they scream and go under the water, and then they come back up, right? But they're excited because they did it. When I take my hand off the back of the bicycle seat, and they ride themselves, and then they turn around and they come back and they see that I'm still standing on the other side of the driveway, what do they do? They scream and yell because they realize they've did it. They've done it. Now, here's, here's the thing. If you're setting up the room for the meeting, or you total all the numbers up, or you send the email, I don't think you're sitting at your desk going, Woo, I did it! But there's probably something in your heart the first time you do something new that says, I did it. I, I accomplished the task. I, I did the new thing. I learned the new skill. I, I did something I didn't know I was capable of doing. I did something that other people didn't think I was capable of doing. In the story of Joshua, what we see is that God taps Joshua for leadership and says, hey, you're going to take the people into the land. And when you get them into the land, you're actually going to go and conquer Jericho. And then they get in chapter 6 and God says, hey, you see that fortified city where nobody can get in and nobody can get out? I've given you the city. And then they participate in the military strategy that God has given where they don't fire a single shot, they just walk around in worship and in silence. And the walls come down, and we read in verse 20 that they run into the city and take it. And here's what we can know for sure. If Joshua had not heeded the words of God in Joshua chapter 1, when he says, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid. If he had been afraid, and he had not been strong, and he had not been courageous, and he kept them out in the comfort and security of the wilderness, which doesn't seem so comfortable or so secure until you're standing in front of a fortified city. If he kept him back there, if he listened to the spies that he sent into the land who had faced adversity, he sent these spies in and they almost got caught and killed. But they hid out and Rahab helped them to escape and then they go out into the hills and they stay there for three days so nobody can find them and then they come back to Joshua if he had heard that story and said, no, 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 it's too dangerous. We just need to stay here. Every morning when we get up, there's manna. Our clothes aren't wearing out. Let's just stay here. Let, let's just live here in the security of today 
they never would have tasted the victory of Jericho. Here's what you and I don't know. I don't know what your Jericho is. I don't know what my Jericho is. I don't know what the victory tomorrow in my life actually is. But here's what I know. I can't taste tomorrow's victory today. God believes in new beginnings. Not only does God believe in new beginnings, but he is certain about the uncertainty in front of me. So even when I'm afraid, I can know that he's going with me because I'm not going to go alone. Because there is a future in front of us that we have to keep moving towards. Anytime we stop dreaming and spend more of our time remembering, we're dying. Dream new dreams. Try new things. Take a risk. Write the book. Start the business. Ask to switch jobs. Get the guy's phone number and call him if you're single. Switch majors. Switch schools. Seek godly wisdom. Listen for the voice of God in your own life and in the wisdom of others. But God believes in new beginnings. Step out. See what the water feels like under your feet when you trust that God is calling you out there. I believe one of the most difficult people for most people, one of the most difficult things for most people to do in a relationship with God is to trust Him. To trust that He's in control, to trust that He really does love them, like we talked about earlier, to trust that He has a plan for their lives. What if today you just said, God, I don't even know what it looks like, but I'm going to trust you with my tomorrow? I asked a lot of questions today, but what if we just focused on one? How would you live your life differently if you knew that God was with you everywhere you went? How would that change the way that you live? God believes in new beginnings, and I believe he may be calling some of us out. So as we reboot the year for some of us, as we start school, as we reprioritize some things, as we kind of redo our budget for a new month or a new quarter or however you do that, I encourage you to look for the new beginnings. Don't focus on Egypt. Don't focus on the wilderness. Look across to the promised land and ask God to help you get there and to taste the victories that are out in front of you as you trust him in greater ways. Let's pray. God, I thank you today that you believe in new beginnings. I thank you that you're a God who doesn't force us to stay in our past and who doesn't force us to stay in our present, but you're always calling us to tomorrow. So God, I pray today for every person in this room that you would grow their courage and faith.
you would grow their trust in you. That God, they would know that you believe in new beginnings. That they would know that you're certain about all the uncertainty they have in front of them. That God, they would know that they are not alone. And that God, finally, they would know that tomorrow's victories can't be experienced today. So they've got to get to tomorrow. They've got to trust you into tomorrow. They've got to believe into tomorrow. Faith on into tomorrow to experience all that you have right out in front of them. Let us be that kind of people. Let us be pushing toward the future that you have for us. And God, let us experience everything that you desire for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.